Good morning. Stephen Covey, author and educator, once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what we're about ready to do at this time is the main thing. You know, as we follow the New Testament church, uh, we remember the, uh, the Lord's Supper and, and partake of the emblems each first day of the week as we come together as a body of believers. And I think there's so much value for us to do that. Um, obviously, it's how it was laid out, God's will, but also just helps us to remember, helps us to keep Jesus in the center of our lives. It's so easy to become distracted during the week and put other things um, from this world as the center of our lives, and a lot of times we'll make ourselves the center of the center of our lives, and that's why I like the book of Romans and Paul's writing to uh, the Roman church. I think it's uh, a good reminder of why we needed a Savior and, and really who we truly are. In uh, Romans 3, verse 23, Paul succinctly tells the Romans that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he goes on in uh, chapter 5, beginning of verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life I think it's a good reminder and a good exercise for us to, to read through these type of passages and um, just again r uh, remind us of who we truly are and if you look at what Paul says about us uh, verse 6 calls us helpless and ungodly verse 8 sinners and verse 10 enemies so this is why we remember Jesus it's why we remember his death on the cross it's why we need a savior so at this time as we prepare to take of the emblems, prepare to take of the, the bread, which is representative of Jesus' body on the cross, and the fruit of the vine, which represents his blood, let's commemorate and remember Jesus and what his death means to each one of us this morning, and let's make him the main thing in our lives. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you so much for, for being our God. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you would send your son, Jesus, to this earth to live and to, to die, Father, to, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, Father. We, we know and we're reminded through your scripture of our true state, that, that we are sinners, that we are helpless and ungodly and, and enemies of you, Father, without your son and his sacrifice on the cross, and we thank you for, for that for what it does for us, it brings us back into uh, reconciliation with you and uh, gives us that hope of eternal life, Father. We thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. And Father, at this time, we ask your blessings upon this bread, which represents his body. We pray all these things through Jesus' holy name. Amen.
good prayer to go to God in prayer again. Dear God, we approach you once again, Father, thanking you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to remember, to proclaim, Father, his death upon that cross and what it means to each of us, Father. Lord, we thank you for the humility that he displayed going to the cross and taking on our sins and the blood that was shed, Father, for each of us that covers over our many sins and gives us that hope of eternal life with you one day. Father, at this time, we ask your blessings upon the fruit of the vine, which is representative of that blood. It's through Jesus we pray these things. Amen. concludes the Lord's Supper. At this time we have an opportunity to uh, take up an offering. I'd like to read from Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, giving is another way that we can can worship God, and it's another way that we can, you know, arrange our lives to show God what's most important to us, and, you know, the New Testament, we're not instructed to give a certain amount or even give a certain percent of, of what we make. Um, giving is now, and as instructed and laid out in the New Testament, is now a matter of the heart. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for all the many blessings that you give us, Lord. You have blessed us so richly as individuals and families as um, a body of believers here father we thank you so much for for each and every gift that we get from you and father we ask your uh, your blessings at this time upon the funds that are collected this morning that they will be utilized in a, a way that pleases you in alignment with your your will and your word that they'll be utilized to sustain the uh, 
the functions of the church here as well as reaching those in our community and, and around the world, Father. We thank you again for all that you do for us, and thank you, Lord, for most of all for your son, Jesus. It's through him we pray. Amen. Let's hope so. <laughs> Everyone, let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 599. 599, Stepping in the Light. As at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> 599, we'll sing the first three verses. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior. Trying to follow our Savior. Shaking our lives by his blessed example, happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How beautiful we walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful we walk in the steps of the Savior. Invitation to him would be number 67. Number 67, bring Christ your broken life. Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, before we begin, some of our young men are going to be handing out some rubber bands to you. Those are going to be important for our lesson today. So keep a hold of your rubber band and don't shoot it at me. And uh, we'll tell you what to do with it later on in the lesson. We've been walking through a series we're calling Villains, and we've been following Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey uh, as we encounter all these different villains. 
Uh, so the first week we talked about Herod Agrippa. The next week we talked about Elimus the magician. Last week was the Iconium mob where they attempted to stone Paul. Uh, this week it's, we're talking about the Lystra mob. This is where they actually do stone Paul. Lystra is uh, an undeveloped uh, archaeological site in these days. It is an ancient city. We know that it existed around the time of David, possibly all the way even back to the time of the Exodus. So we're talking 14, 1500 years before Jesus was born. There is a settlement in Lystra. Those are lost to the midst of time. We don't know who was there. We don't know where exactly, um, how far their city reached. Um, but today, this mound that you see on the screen behind me is what is known as the modern or the first century city of Lystra. It's a backwater city. Um, it's not Iconium. It's not Antioch of Pisidia. These are these are major cities in the Roman Empire. Although Iconium is not a Roman province, Lystra is. Um, we know that this, this is where Lystra is. Well, back in the early 1800s, some people had some guesses. They thought it was somewhere near this area. Uh, but in 1850, an archaeologist was wandering around this area, and he happened upon this uh, monument that you see on the screen to the, to the right here. And it actually uh, is about three and a half feet tall. It's a couple feet Uh, wide and a, a, about a foot thick. So this is not a small monument, but it actually says this is where Lystra was. <laughs> Isn't that handy? Uh, that's nice to, nice to have when it comes out like that. Uh, but if you were to be able to read uh, Greek uh, or Latin, uh, I suppose that's, that's the, the city name that you see it there in the middle, uh, L-U-S-T-R-A. It was a, a Roman colony, um, and so It was dedicated at one point, and this is the dedication from where uh, Augustus Caesar dedicated this city as a Roman colony. This is, this is where that happened. This monument's been there for the last 2,000 years or so. So that's, that's interesting in and of itself, and it's fun to go back through and walk through the history of Lystra. Um, this is the road that Lystra would have been on. Uh, this is known as the Via Sebasti. And so this is not a major road. Remember, we said that this, this city is a little bit of a backwater city. This is not a major city. Uh, you would have to be going here, intending to go here, to actually end up in Lystra and Derby. It's the same situation. It, it too, is not a major city. Um, but they are off this major thoroughfare, thoroughfare of the Via Sebasti. Um, so Paul is going to go from Antioch uh, down to Iconium. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good jaunt. Uh, we're talking 80 to 100 miles across rugged terrain to get from Antioch of Pisidia down to Iconium. From Iconium to Lystra is only about 18 miles. Um, and there is a, a, a well-worn road there. And you still see uh, what's left of that road. This is the Via Sebasti today. You can visit it. You can walk on this road today. Like we say, it, it, along with Iconium and uh, Lystra and Derby are along this, this path. And so why did Paul flee here? Well, I think he, I think he runs here for a couple of reasons, maybe more than a couple, but at least, at least these two are, are um, possible, likely, uh, at least in my mind. When the mob forms in Iconium, someone tips Paul off. We're not, we're not told who that person is. We're not given their name. Uh, I suppose we'll know them in heaven, but some... I'm assuming Christian got a hold of this fact that the Iconium, uh, Iconians were about to murder Paul. They were going to stone him. And so word gets back to him, and, and he and the, the missionary party flee. They, they leave Iconium, and they go here. They, they would have um, gone down this road, the Via Sebasti, all the way down 18 miles, 20 miles, to this little city known as Lystra. I think it was Paul's... Uh, agenda to go here all along. I think this is where he was headed when they first started out this missionary journey. I think I think somebody, if not Paul himself, maybe Barnabas or or someone else, maybe the team got together and they figured out this is these are the cities we're going to hit. I think they had it laid out, had it all laid out before they left. But so as Paul leaves Iconium, naturally he comes to Lystra. Now, secondary reason is I think he thought. 
his Roman citizenship would matter more in Lystra than it does in Iconium. Iconium, again, is not a Roman colony. There's not a, um, there's not a, um, a Roman uh, military presence in Iconium. There is in Lystra. Uh, in fact, some very famous regiments, some very famous legions have been uh, housed, have been stationed in, in Lystra, including the 7th uh, Legion, which is known for their loyalty and bravery throughout history. And they, they're gone by this point, but there is a, uh, a Roman legion that's stationed in, in Lystra. And so I think Paul assumes, and probably logically so, that if he were to make it to Lystra, certainly a Roman citizen would be perfectly safe in this Roman colony because Jewish people don't have the right to capital punishment. Romans do, but you have to go through a trial. And so Paul thinks, I'm sure, that he would be safe here in Lystra, but he is wrong. Um, so that's, that's some of the, um, the history here. Another thing you need to know this is kind of the tip of the Roman Empire. Uh, if you were to go uh, just a little bit north, that's, that's, this is in the province, all these cities that we've talked about uh, the last couple of weeks, Antioch, uh, of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. All these are in Galatia, the province known as Galatian. But they're kind of in the southern section of the province. And I think, if I'm right, I think that this, these are the, the churches that the letter to the Galatians was written to. So if you go back through and you read the letter to the Galatians, you'll find a little bit more, um, you'll, you'll have another window into the life of, of, of these congregations. But in the northern section of, of this province uh, is, is wild area. Um, it's kind of like the Wild West. This is where the, the Gauls have, have, um, have traveled to, and they've, they've kind of set up shop there. Now, if you know anything about early Roman history, during this time period at least, the Romans and the Gauls are bitter enemies. And the Romans want to take over um, the Gauls, and the Gauls, of course, don't want to be taken over, and so they're happy to fight for and to keep what is theirs. And so this, this military base in Lystra is positioned there to keep the Gauls in line. If they were to try to retake Lystra or this area in southern Galatia, the Roman legion that's stationed in Lystra would have stood up and you can't do this and we'll fight against you and all those kinds of things. So that's the city that Paul walks into. Don't think of this as a massive city, though. This is a military outpost. Um, the people that have been stationed here, um, some of them ha have come across the, the Roman world, and they have retired here. They're former soldiers. There's not a Jewish synagogue there. This is a Gentile Roman uh, city. And so uh, Paul's norm, what he would like to do, what he normally does when he walks into one of these cities, is he finds a place to worship. Normally it's the synagogue because he shares so much in common with the Jewish people, and it's easy to get them to Jesus if they'll listen. If they just listen, it's easy to get them from A to B. He, he, all he has to do is talk to them. Well, you believe in the Old Testament, right? And those prophecies that you find in the Old Testament, they're all talking about him. And here's how he fulfilled all those things. It's, it's an easy jump. Uh, if, you, if you can get a Jewish person to listen, it's an easy jump from A to B, uh, all the way into Christ. And so that's his norm. That's what he likes to do. So he sets up shop in a synagogue, and he's going there to teach. Lystra doesn't have a synagogue. There's not enough Jewish people there to have a synagogue. You have to have at least, uh, I believe it's 10 Jewish males to have a synagogue in any city. And so apparently there are not 10 Jewish men in Lystra. Remember, this is a Roman place. Um, former soldiers. These are Romans. And so what happens? Well, look. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Where does Paul go when he doesn't have a synagogue to go to. Verse 8 tells us, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. So this is the miracle. Uh, and it's very much like the one you find Peter and John doing in uh, the early chapters of Acts. Um, 
and there are a variety of reasons for that, but uh, anyhow, this, this, this lame man, Paul comes across him, uh, and something about this guy's face, as Paul was talking, as he was teaching, indicated to Paul that this guy has faith. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know exactly, we're not told exactly what his face looks like. Maybe he's leaning in. You know, when you're interested in what someone's saying, you kind of lean in, you listen intently, you listen, in, you listen closely. Maybe that's what this guy's doing. Um, maybe, maybe he's smiling. Maybe there's something going on in his face that gives credence to the idea that this guy is faithful. He's, he's trusting in God. He wants to hear more. And so Paul heals this guy. Stand upright on your feet, right? And he doesn't just kind of limp up, right? He doesn't just kind of groggily get to his feet. He springs up. And so you're supposed to see this guy jumping up in the air, uh, and he's attracting all kinds of attention. And you know what happens directly after that, of course? The people start trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. This is... A, this whole this whole scene is is a little bit of a crazy um, scenario, especially what happens afterward. But when Paul heals this guy, they make the assumption the Laconians do. The people of Lystra make this assumption that Paul and Barnabas are gods. Now, this sounds like a crazy assumption to us, but for them, it's not that big of a leap. Here's why. Every Roman colony, every Roman city has a temple to Zeus, among other gods, among other Roman gods, but everyone has one to Zeus. And so it's usually right outside the city gates, and you find that with um, this, with this uh, scenario as well. And so the, the guy, the high priest to Zeus, takes cows, takes cattle, at least a bull, from somewhere and he he brings it to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because it's clear to him that Zeus and Hermes have come down in the form of men. Now, there are all kinds of old um, myths about this happening and so you're don't think that these people are just making these crazy assumptions. This is not something that they would have expected, but if you heal someone, their mind automatically goes to a Roman god. Since the Roman gods that they are most familiar with, the ones that they have temples to, are Zeus, they automatically think of Zeus, right? So when this incredible thing happens, they attribute it to Zeus. And since Paul is the guy doing all the talking, he must be Hermes. He's the guy who does a lot of the talking for Zeus. And whenever you find Zeus, you find Hermes. Um, so there's your Roman mythology lesson for today. But that, that's where their minds immediately jump to. And Paul, when they start making these assumptions and they bring the cow and he's got garland around his neck, they've actually, archaeologists have actually found um, uh, sculptures, uh, engravings of, of bulls with garland around their neck in uh, sacrifice to Zeus. So all this is, is right on uh, par as you would expect it to be. Uh, but when they bring out this cattle and they start falling down, they're trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. They, they start ripping their clothes and they're shouting. They're trying to get these guys to stop doing this, this thing. Verse 15 records their words for us. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains and from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So he, he kind of says, all these things that you've been worshiping in the past, God allowed that, but he's not allowing that anymore. Those days are over and now we're here to tell you about the one true God who's made all all the things that you see, we're here to tell you about him, right? It's very much reminiscent of Acts chapter 17, where he encounters another people that are very much into worshiping other false gods. And so he takes the exact same tactic as he does here in Lystra. But, <coughs> excuse me, what's so interesting to me is what he says in verse 18. What Luke records for us in verse 18 just kind of blows your mind. After he has 
trashed the Roman gods. After he said, there's no power here. Those things are vain. Those are myths. Those are just stories. Those things don't have any power. Verse 18 says, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. This blows your mind, right? Even when Paul and Barnabas are trashing their little G gods, they're, they're calling them, they're worthless, they're, they're, they're figments of your imagination. You shouldn't worship those things, but there is a true and living God whom you should worship, and we're here to tell you about Him. Even with that kind of talk, they are barely able to keep the people from offering sacrifices to them. That just kind of blows your mind. But what happens next is even crazier to me. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium in verse 19, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they go from worshiping him to killing him, at least they thought they had killed him, and dragging him out of the city and leaving him for dead. Like that. That's the way Luke records it for us anyhow. This, this I think, would have happened uh, over the span of several days, maybe a couple of weeks even, um, because it has... They have to, it has to take a little bit of time for the people in Iconium to hear that Paul is in Lystra, teaching the same thing in Lystra that he taught back in Iconium, and, it, and for those people to get down to Lystra. It would have taken about a day for them to make the trip down. So we're not talking immediately. Don't see that in your head, but that's the way Luke portrays it for us, and so that's what he's, that's what he's trying to get at is the, the idiocy of these false gods, this this. The, the idiocy of this false religion um, and, and how fickle humans can really be, because we can be fickle, can't we? They go from wanting to worship him to wanting to kill him in the space of a breath, almost. Um, so, what happens next? Well, next, the disciples gather about him. He rose up and entered the city. So he goes back into Lystra. I love that part. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So he gets stoned. Don't miss this story because this is incredible. He gets stoned, but he's not dead, which is pretty incredible in and of itself. When you throw rocks at people, they generally stop breathing. Um, after a little while, but he, he doesn't. Somehow he survives this. I don't think it's miraculous. Um, and when the, the disciples apparently gathered around him, putting themselves at risk, aligning themselves with his cause and with Jesus, um, he gets up and he walks back into the city. I think you're supposed to see him bloodied, um, banged up. He's probably limping back into the city, right? I think this is a slow trip. Um, and when he leaves on the next day, he's bandaged. Uh, maybe he's walking with a crutch or something. He, he took a beating. Don't, don't see him just kind of happily walking down this road. He's, he's limping. Um, and, and it would have taken a, a while to get away. What I want you to see is, and what we've really been driving at throughout this series is, what can we learn from these villains? Because they, they're teaching us something. They're recorded here for a reason. Especially these four, back to back as they are, are trying to teach us something. And so what lessons can we learn from the Lystra mob? Grab your rubber band. Get your rubber band and wrap it. You see that smudge on it? Wait, look at your rubber band. You see the smudge? Take that thing and wrap it around your songbook. So you can see the smudge. Look at the smudge. If I wrote it right, <laughs> it's not a smudge anymore, right? It's a word. Thrive. There are some things that you can only learn by being stretched. You would have never seen that. It wouldn't matter how long you could have looked at your smudge there without it being wrapped around your, your sewing book. You could have looked at that for the next three years and you would have just seen a smudge, right? 
But when you stretch it out, the word's easily visible. There's some things that you can only learn by being stretched. I think that's one of the things that the Lister mob teaches us. These, these folks that align themselves with Paul and Barnabas, with, that align themselves with Jesus, when they came out and they surrounded Paul, they have to stay in Lystra. Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the company, they get, they get to go. But these disciples have to stay there. And you know one of these disciples by name. You may not know you know him by name, but you know him. Timothy is from this city, this small community. He's one of the Jewish Greek people. He, he's kind of a half-breed. His dad's Greek. His mom's Jewish. But his mom and his grandma have been teaching him all the things of the Old Testament until Paul comes along in this trip. And on, when he comes back through in a couple of years, he's going to take Timothy along with him. But all these disciples, Timothy included, had to stay in the city. What do you think their faith was like? How vibrant, how pure, how passionate was their faith? I think it was every, every ounce of them was following. There, there was none of the half-hearted, none of the halfway, none of the lukewarm following with these people. They, they, were, they were all in. But you never figure out whether you're all in or not until you're stretched. Check out what he says in James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet vari- trials of various kinds. That in and of itself, just kind of, we, we, our minds balk at that, don't we? Because when you feel pain, what do you, what's the first thing you start looking for? A way out of the pain, right? You, you, uh, you hit your finger with a hammer, right? Ah, what happens? You just start, keep on banging, right? <laughs> you just keep on hitting the hammer. No, you pull your hand away and you know, get that. What about, uh, what about when you get a diagnosis that you don't like? Oh, what happens then? You pull back. The prayers are for healing, rightly so, right? Uh, the prayers are for the alleviation of, of this particular disease. Rightly so, right? We don't like pain. We automatically shrink back from it. James 1, 2 through 4 indicates that we ought to lean into it. Because there's something you can learn from being stretched from this kind of pain that some of you have undergone. You can't learn any way else. There's no other way that you can learn what he wants you to learn in James 1, 2 through 4, unless you go through this kind of significant pain. you got to be stretched to learn this thing. And so we can't shrink back from this kind of pain. We can't shrink back from these kinds of trials, to use James's word. In fact, we should be happy. We should count it all joy. Don't miss that little word, all. He's emphasizing the joy here. All joy. That's hard though, isn't it? Well, it gets a little bit easier when you learn what you're going to get. So let's read the rest of the verse. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right? Underline steadfastness. You're going to want to learn to love this word. Steadfastness. This is, this is the Greek word. Hupomone. Hupomone. And it means to bear up under. To bear up under, to carry a burden. Maybe, maybe you can think about it, about it in military terms. Maybe that would be more helpful for you. Um, your commander has left you in this spot and says, hold this position until I return. You don't move. You stay right here. Maybe, maybe to bear up under is more the image that you need to see. I think both are valid. Um, but it's carrying this burden happily. Sometimes when we carry burdens, we don't always carry them happily, do we? Sometimes we, we groan and we complain, and, and the burden is grievous to us. The situation, the loss of a loved one, the diagnosis, the whatever, you fill in the blank, the, that this kind of pain comes in a variety of 
uh, modes looks different for a lot of different of us. Um, to them, it would have looked like persecution. We don't undergo very much persecution in our country today because of our faith. If you live on mission, if you live passionately for Christ, you'll undergo this kind of persecution. It'll happen. You might not get stoned, but you're going to get ridiculed. You'll lose friends. You'll lose position. You'll lose influence. But you'll gain so much more. When we bear up under this burden happily, we gain steadfastness. It's hupomone. Um, when we hold our position, He teaches us steadfastness. Our faith is stronger because of the pain that we're walking through. If we can focus on Him through the pain. Why are these people, <clears throat> why are the, the Lyconians, the, the people in Lystra, what kind of persecution would they have undergone? I, I don't know. We're not told. In fact, Lystra is only mentioned something like six times in the rest of Scripture. So we're not, we're not really told what else they would have gone through. But from what Paul went through in this region, I, I can imagine, uh, I'm lent to believe that their persecution would have been significant. Because of that pain, their, their faith, so much more vibrant. And that's something we've missed. Because... We've never really been pushed like that, have we? No one's ever threatened you because of your faith. No one's ever hurt you most likely because of your faith. You've never been in a position to think through, what does this mean to me? What does Jesus mean to me? Is he worth going through this pain for? Is he worth losing this relationship for? Is he worth losing my life over? Yeah. And so we can gain this type of faith, I think, when we undergo the kinds of pain that so many of you have undergone, losing a loved one, getting the diagnosis, fill in the blank, losing a job, all this, the times when we are forced to depend on Him, those times can grow our faith like nothing else. if we work our way through it with Him. If we complain and if we lose our faith and if we go through this in such a way that does not honor Him, if we're not looking for ways to be dependent on Him during this kind of pain, your faith will end up on the weaker side when you come through this tunnel of pain. The amazing thing is, if you bear up under it, if you stay right where you are, and even maybe advance, when you come through the pain, it may be six months or two years or five years down the line, but guess what's happened to your faith? It's transformed. It's better, it's more vibrant, it's bigger now. You've learned steadfastness. And you know what happens when you learn steadfastness? When it has its full effect, you may be perfect complete, lacking in nothing. That's the potential for pain in your life. All the things that we would never dream on our worst enemies, when those things happen to us, that's the power that they can have in our lives because sometimes you can only learn things by being stretched. We don't want to be stretched, right? Being stretched is painful. It hurts. Often we would say it's not good. God says it's good. Not the situation you're in, not the pain you're having to undergo, but the thing that you can learn through it is good. And in fact, it's something that you need to learn to make our faith more vibrant, to make it more passionate, to make it more steadfast. That's the power, the potential of pain in our lives. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're still lost in your sin. He's still holding those things against you. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not a condition you have to stay in. It's certainly not a permanent condition. 
this morning, if you're ready to cast off sin and to put on Christ, we want to aid you in that, certainly. If, if uh, you're struggling this morning and we can help you in any way, won't you let us know as we stand and sing? Morning. We have a few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. May 12th is the teen lock-in. Doors lock at 10 p.m. Uh, everyone say a prayer for the chaperones. I hope they make it out of there. Uh, May 13th, Stamp Out Hunger Food Drive is Saturday. Uh, meet in this back parking lot at 930. Uh, we have three routes that we run to uh, pick up food on that, so any help would be appreciated. May 14th is deadline for camp registration. May 20th, the Hometown Love uh, program at the fairgrounds. We'll have a booth set up for that. May 21st, remember, is our senior reception. The 27th, the youth group will have a devotional in a cave at Carter Cave State Park. The bus will leave at noon. Um, Sign-up sheets for youth activities are on the bulletin board in the foyer. Sign up if you plan on going to some of these events. Group number one, Rick and Chad's group. We'll have their May meeting on May 21st following morning services in the old auditorium. And also remember, Greg would appreciate some help with the mowing schedule. It's on the bulletin board. And the youth group summer calendar is done. Please pick up a copy from the foyer table. This time, we'd also like to congratulate our college graduates, Holly Leap, Katie Trevathan, and Andrew Miller. So congratulations, guys. Job well done. And remember, there's in the bulletin, you have the donations for the mission team going to Peru. Look at the items they need for that and try to pick some of that stuff up. On our prayer list, it's good to see Jimmy Wilgus here with us this morning. Uh, keep him in your prayers. Doug Deeds, my uh, sister-in-law, Angie King, is now home doing well. Uh, Terry Leap, that's Gary's brother. Keep him in your prayers. Jamie Estes, Jim Haney, and Amber Spitzer. Is there any other announcements? If not, we'll have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 676. There's within my heart. <clears throat> we'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Greg Sullivan will have a prayer. <clears throat> There's within my heart a melody. Jesus Christ Thank you. 
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, Father, just thanking you for this another day of life you've blessed us with. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity that we can come here and worship you. We pray everything that was done here this morning was pleasing in your sight. Father, we're mindful of the ones that are sick, that are shut in, Father. Just pray you bless them with strength and health, Father, and just return them to a normal portion of their, of their lives, Father. Father, we... I want to say a special prayer for our recent college graduates, as well as those individuals that will be graduating from high school. Father, just we just pray for their success and uh, the next chapter in their lives. And Father, that we pray that they, they, they purposely seek you out, Father, uh, to lead their lives. Father, uh, as we leave this place, we just pray that you provide us with safety and that you bring us back here at our next appointed time. Forgive us of the sins that we've committed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.